Hey y'all, you're listening to Crying and Trying, the podcast, the comprehensive guide for cultivating emotional intelligence in a fucked up world. This podcast focuses on how oppressive systems and the human experience interact and impact our mental health. As a disclaimer, I am not a licensed mental health care professional or an expert. I am just one human who has lived through the mental health experience, sharing my story and giving my advice. Please, if you or someone you know needs help, seek it out immediately by a professional. I will have hotlines, warm lines, and other support resources available in the show notes. Hi, friends. So this is the first solo episode that I have ever put out. Um, I have been struggling with putting out solo content um, because my imposter syndrome kind of gets in the way and I have this idea that what I have to say by myself it won't be engaging or interesting and nobody will want to listen to it. Um, however, when I am really depressed, it is hard for me to set up meetings with people and do interviews and do recordings with someone when it um, is just myself it's easier to get the motivation to do something Um, and I felt like this was a really important thing for me to share I also just want to apologize for the audio quality on this episode Um, I have been having some technical difficulties with my recording platform Um, And I used a new one for this episode, and you can very clearly hear the the MBTA running like 100 feet from my house. Um, I don't have the audio engineering capabilities to edit that out, um, so I apologize, but uh, it should be fixed for the next episode. There is also a trigger warning about suicidal ideation in this episode. Hi friends. So if you have been following me on social media, you know that I am going through a pretty rough depressive episode right now. I did say I was going to take a break and get back to putting episodes out soon, but I felt like it was also important for me to share what I'm going through um, because I really do think that it will help somebody else. For me, and I was talking to someone on Twitter about this, I feel like my episodes quote unquote um have been really non-stop for the past few years like I feel like I'm constantly just in a state of depression and it's just the level that I can function changes um that being said when I feel like I have these episodes they feel a lot more intense and a lot more frequent than they have been in the past um so when I say like episode I mean can't get out of my bed hard to take care of myself, numb, not feeling anything, having an overwhelming urge to just sob. Any minor inconvenience makes me cry. I'm super reactive. My trauma responses are heightened. Um, So these episodes make day-to-day life really hard. Um, And, you know, I am very lucky to have a job that is really responsive and respectful of my mental health um, and lets me take time off when I need it. I did have some issues recently with um, an an HR person that is an outside consultant and um, 
I had a really, really rough week last week. Um, I went on vacation. The second half of vacation was with my family and I got misgendered almost the entire time. Um, so it was just very emotionally draining. There was a lot of good that came out of it um, and I have been able to reflect on that and that's great, um, but it was also really rough. And then so coming back from vacation, I went into the busiest week of work that I've ever had. We're in the middle of a huge campaign trying to get ready for our first in vivo studies. Um, and there was one day that I was at work for 12 hours. Um, every other day I was there late. It was emotionally exhausting. I was in the lab almost all day. Um, not a lot of time to just sit and chill. And I had a really rough meeting with HR. Um, so this meeting, she came at it in a really rough, like not in an appropriate way and just kind of said some things that you shouldn't say as an HR professional. Um, at one point she was like, we we're talking about how this job is very stressful for me. And as someone with CPTSD who is currently working through their trauma, um, you know, I'm much more sensitive to stress and stressful situations. It takes me longer to recover from them because I am working through very severe trauma. I have a lot of stuff coming to the surface, a lot of difficult emotions and habits and neural pathways that I'm unlearning. So, you know, I've had to take a number of mental health days and I've had conversations with my supervisor. He said this was great. Fine. Like, I'd rather you be healthy. I don't want you here if you're not going to be OK. And I don't want you here if you're going to make mistakes. Um, so we're, I'm having this conversation with this HR person and, you know, I'd never met her. She had never introduced herself to me. I have no rapport. And then she comes into this and it feels very uh, disciplinary and uh, not like a, a brainstorming session, like she kept saying it was supposed to be. But at one point she said, you know, this job is really stressful for normal people, much less someone like you. And for me, uh, and this is something that I haven't talked about much on the pod yet, because I really wanna make sure that I, I can do the topic justice, but trauma is extremely complex. And, um, it, it literally changes the way your brain is mapped and the way that your brain functions. And um, so flight or f uh, trauma responses, fight or flight, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, there's also fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. So all of these are different trauma responses and they, they manifest in different ways. But when you're in a situation that your brain perceives to be unsafe, um, and this doesn't have to be like physical safety. So like you think about when we were hunter gatherers, if there was a lion chasing you, that's unsafe. So your body is going to go into a fight or flight response, right? To protect yourself. So the same thing happens in any other trauma situation. Um, however, this also goes to emotional safety, psychological safety. Um, and in that moment, as soon as that HR rep said that sentence, this is hard for normal people, much less someone like you. I immediately knew this situation wasn't safe and I got on the defensive. 
Um, my fight response was really high. I was very agitated, very escalated. I cried the whole time. It was a very emotional meeting. I felt worse afterwards. I felt like I wanted to quit. I felt like the job wasn't, I'm not cut out for my job. And this is something that my my episodes, um, I do get different types of episodes. Uh, so like, it's really hard for me to kind of talk about it like this because every time it's sort of different. And like when I'm talking about the sense of safety, that's not something that you really consciously are aware of. Unconsciously, your brain, your amygdala, recognizes that this isn't safe. Um, like I could immediately feel my heart rate increase, my breathing increased, my um, my focus. Like I was in this little fishbowl area at work that has a bunch of windows. So prior to that, I was noticing people walking past. Um, I completely zoned out of that. Like I was laser focused on the person I was talking to and how I was feeling. Um, but you know, when I'm in that state where I am agitated, um, I'm, I'm irritable, my body is on alert and I'm in that trauma response, that fight mode. Um, it's very hard for me to regulate my emotions and, um, and to, let my logical brain, my rational brain come to the table. Um, so when we do talk about trauma a little bit more, I'll talk about like all the different parts of the brain and like the emotional versus the rational part. Um, so basically when you're in a fight or flight response, the emotional part of your brain takes over. Um, so even though I know that like what that woman said, probably she didn't mean it the way that it came across, However, the emotional part of me reacted so intensely. Um, so, you know, I felt like very unsafe in that situation. I told her as much. I was like, I don't really feel comfortable talking to you. I don't feel comfortable coming to you with my issues, um, which is really unfortunate as she's my HR rep. But there was also like an instance where I think it was a, some miscommunication, but she told me that I had done something and that it was unprofessional and I had evidence that I did not do that thing. Um, and so also being told that like I did something and that I'm going to get in trouble for that or that it's seen in a negative light also was very triggering for me. Um, so, you know, I, I left that meeting feeling really down on myself, like I wanted to quit. And that's those are feelings that I have all the time anyway. Um, and I'm it's just depending on my emotional state and my surroundings and how safe I feel, how I respond to those feelings varies. Um, so usually, I mean, I do have very intense imposter syndrome. I don't feel confident in my abilities, especially at work. Um, I don't know, remember how much I've talked about this on the podcast, but I left engineering before I even started my career. Like I graduated and then went to grad school for a different field. Um, I was always the smart kid and I think like, you know, a lot of, a lot of people with gifted child syndrome can, uh, relate to this. Like in high school, I was the smartest kid in my class all the time. I got straight A's. I never got like anything below an A, graduated with a 4.5 GPA, like, um, and you know, this 
kind of fueled that obsessive perfectionism that stemmed from my childhood trauma, right? Like I have to be the best or, um, or I'm nothing. So then, you know, I get to college and I'm with all these other smartest kids in their class and I wasn't the smartest kid in my class anymore. I really, really struggled in engineering school. It was very difficult. I got a lot of low grades. I didn't understand a lot. I didn't feel confident in my abilities, um, especially compared to my classmates. So that coupled with sexism, coupled with some other issues, and just like my passion for teaching was what had me switch fields. Um, you know, teaching ended up being really emotionally draining and not the right fit. I wanted to work in mental health care. It's also not um, very financially secure. Like people in public service don't get paid a lot and I'm already struggling financially. I'm trying to dig myself out of, you know, the poverty hole that I grew up in and that I started my adult life in. So I made the choice to go back to engineering and, you know, I ended up in a really great spot. I love my company. I love my job. I like the work that I'm doing. It's very interesting, but every day, I feel like I'm not good enough. Every day I feel like I'm not smart enough. You know, I, I only have a bachelor's in engineering. Every single person I work with has a PhD. Um, every single person I work with has written a ton of papers and done a lot of things. And I just like, you know, it's hard for me to read scientific journals. They don't make a ton of sense to me. There's a lot of things that are happening on the day to day that I don't understand and I have to Google and I feel very stupid. And so, you know, I have these feelings and and they're kind of amplified after a meeting like this where I didn't feel safe and it just kind of reinforces this irrational belief that I don't belong. Um, and so I just kind of shut down this weekend, this past weekend. I ended up having a meeting with my boss uh, this Monday and, you know, I... Honestly, I'd put up a bunch of armor. Uh, I had scheduled an emergency therapy session the day after this meeting, talked with my therapist about how I was feeling. I cried a lot. Um, I was felt really validated because part of that, too, is I was like, you know, I'm aware that I'm escalated. Am I being ridiculous? And am I overreacting to what this woman said? And um, I got a lot of validation that a lot of the things she said were very inappropriate. And I was right to feel the way that I felt. Um, and that's one thing about me, too, is I don't just feel my feelings a little bit. I feel them, like, amplified, like, a thousand percent. Um, so, you know, after that therapy session, I kind of... I kind of came to the conclusion that, like, I, I really just needed to keep to myself a little bit like I couldn't because that was something that came up in that meeting too she kind of put words into my mouth that I was worried about what other people thought about me when I was crying at work and that like you know I needed to have more separation between all of my mental health care that I have via telehealth sessions during the day and my job um, and it made me feel really ashamed of the issues that I'm struggling with and it made me feel like I couldn't be honest with my supervisor about how I am feeling and how overworked I'm feeling and how stressed I am. 
So I kind of made the decision. I was like, okay, I'm just going to put my head down, do my job, and coast. And I'd been really quiet. Um, hadn't really talked to people. And then I had a one-on-one with my boss, and he was kind of like, so how are things? And I thought I was going to be able to, you know, keep up that front and be like, yeah, everything's fine. And I couldn't because he's a safe place. He's a safe person. I broke down. I started telling him everything I was going through. Um, And, you know, we talked a lot. I have a history of putting my job for myself. And that is really the biggest challenge that I've struggled with over the past few years is prioritizing my wellness and my well-being over Um, the success of my company. And it gets really difficult because, you know, I am such an empath. I feel everybody's feelings and I um, care a lot about the people around me and I care really deeply about everything that I do. So when... um, it comes to my mental health, and this has happened in all of my other situations too. When I was teaching, it was the same thing. I was like, well, what about my kids? What about my coworkers? Who's gonna cover for me? Who's going to teach my kids? What are we gonna tell my kids? Like there are kids that are dependent on me. Like I don't want their emotional state to be affected because I'm not here and they don't have a safe person to go to. It was the same thing. At my last job, too, I was like, I'm the operations person. Like, I am doing a lot already. People depend on me. What are they going to do if I'm not here? And, you know, it's it's really interesting that I have this dichotomy of, like, you know, the company won't survive without me and then also feeling like I'm not good enough to be there. Um, but I think different parts in me have those different ideals and they kind of, you know, struggle with each other. Um, And it's up to me, the self, the whole person, to make my parts feel safe and make sense of what they're feeling and, and, and do what's best for me. And so at this job, too, you know, we're a small, small startup. We have maybe like 12 people. We keep adding people. um, So I, I don't know the exact number, but we don't have a lot of us. And there's only one other person in the lab in my department, but she's doing her, her own projects. <clears throat> so if I'm not in the lab, there's no one to cover for me. And we've been really trying to get through this campaign. We have another big campaign in November. So I'm like, you know, I can't, I can't miss time. I also, like in the past, have decided so the first time I went to partial I was like okay I think I I was like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna need this again I ended up needing it again um like two years later so then the second time in partial I was like okay I know I'm gonna need this again like I had realized that it's just probably going to be a part of my self-care routine and that I'm going to need the refresher so I was like okay November is usually when I have the hardest time like early fall seasonal affective disorders in full swing. It's also right around the time of one of my largest triggers um, that I've ever had. So it's kind of like an anniversary of that. And I was like, okay, yeah, so I'll I'll go again in November. And at my last employer, I had just done um, partial in January. I told them that. Then I got this new job. I started this job and I told them that. I was like, I'm gonna need like a week or so off in November. So in my head, I'm like, I, I'm good. I have to go till November. 
And the pattern that I have is I push off going to partial. I push off taking care of myself until it's too late, until it's an emergency, and until I have no other choice. Um, and that's where I'm at right now. If I wait until November, it's going to be an emergency. Like, I, I am okay. I am safe, even though I've been having really intense suicidal ideations, you know, worse than I've ever had in my whole life. Like, I know I won't act on it because um, I care to, and this is kind of messed up too, that I'm like more worried about what would happen to my loved ones if I wasn't here than the fact that I wouldn't be here. Um, so that's kind of what's keeping me here is the people that I love. And even though every day, multiple times a day, my brain tells me like, oh, well, this would be so much easier if you were dead. This would be so much easier if you didn't have to worry about this. Like if you were dead, you wouldn't have to deal with any of this. Um, so, you know, if I wait until November, it will be an emergency. I will probably be needing leave more frequently. I'll be taking more mental health days. I will have more days where I can't do anything. And that has been true. Like I, like I said at the beginning of this, my episodes have become more intense and more frequent. And that's a big sign that it's time for me to go back. And, you know, at some point I, I do want to have someone come on and at some point I do want to have someone come on and go through a safety plan with me. Um, because that's something that is a really helpful tool in um, connecting to yourself and your triggers and your your behaviors and your warning signs for when you're you're going to need extra support. And you know, I've kind of been slipping into that state and just not acknowledging it. Um, so I was in some support groups this week, and I had multiple people tell me like, no, you need to go to partial. Like you need to go to partial. You can't wait anymore. Like it's, you need to do this for you. And part of me is like, no, like I can wait till November. It's fine. Like my company needs me. My people need me. Like it's whatever. But like, I do really realize that I need to go on medical leave again. Um, so I'm in the process of that right now. And I think that that has kind of helped me to get through this episode a little bit, to know that, like, I'm going to have a break soon. I'm going to be able to go and, like, refresh on all my skills and kind of get my habits and my routines back into the a place that, uh, you know, works for me and for the my, my schedule and what I have to do um, to be a human in this world. And um, so I'm working on that. And then the, the other thing that as I've been reflecting on all of this, and I did a, a little thread on Twitter, so if you follow me on the, the pod page on Twitter, for most of my life, when I have felt really depressed, for most of my life, you know, when I'm really depressed, or I'm not doing well, or I'm struggling, I try to fight it. Like, I try to pretend like I'm okay, and you know, push through it or like I get mad at myself for feeling the way I'm feeling and like, you know, you have no reason to be depressed, whatever it is. Like, it's just something that I'm pushing up against the whole time. Like, I don't want it to happen. And I, I've noticed that this makes it more difficult to get through that. Um, I, I like to think in analogies. They are really helpful to me. And 
one of the analogies that works the best is like riptides. So if you get caught in a, a riptide, um, for those of you that aren't near the oceans, and I'm not going to explain this the best, but I can include it in the show notes. But a riptide is like a very strong current that like you can't see and it will pull you out to sea. Um, most people's instinct is to swim back to shore and to fight this current. However, if you do that, it's going to exhaust you and it's going to pull you farther out to sea. Um, so you're going to be in a more dangerous position um, and you're not going to have energy to save yourself. Really, if you get caught in a riptide in that strong current, you are supposed to relax. Like you let your body float, you let the current pull you where it needs to, and then when you are ready to swim out of it, you swim parallel to the shore with the current. So kind of counterintuitive to what you think you should be doing, and you just kind of go with the flow. Um, and, you know, I was on vacation in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, uh, a few weeks ago, and the water is warm there. Like, I live in New England, and the ocean is freezing year-round. So, like, we don't really go in the ocean here. Like, we'll go for a quick dip, but, you know, my toes go numb and my hands go numb. And so it's not – I don't spend a lot of time in the water. But I was swimming in the ocean for so long. It was so warm. And, you know, my cousin and I and her friend Gabby, we would, like – float in the waves when they were less calm or less intense a little more calm literally would just like lay back and then like as the wave would come your body would float with it so like I would just let it be and I'd be fine but if I tried to fight that then I'd start struggling I'd start spluttering I'd go underwater I'd have a hard time so like I really had to learn to work with the waves and with the current um to, to just hang out and to, to be chill in that moment. And it's the same thing with my mental health. Like, the more I fight it, the more difficult it is, the, the harder it feels, the more exhausted I am. And so lately, I and I don't think that it's been a conscious thing. It, it's honestly just been, um, I mean, maybe it is consciously, but it, it doesn't feel like something that I've been putting effort into. It's just kind of been... A habit that I've started to develop that like if I am feeling these feelings if I am feeling depressed I'm going to let myself feel them like I have been openly crying like whenever I feel like I need to cry I cry if I feel like I really can't get out of bed like some days yes you have to force it but I've been giving myself like a day or two to just feel it and to really be depressed and to not eat if I don't have the energy to eat and to not move and get out of bed and to just let myself wallow and let myself feel those feelings because if I try to push them away they intensify and they fester and they get worse but if I let myself feel them feelings are temporary everything is temporary it's going to pass so if I just go with the flow if I just float on that wave it's going to go right past me but if I try to fight it it's going to pull me under um, and so, you know, lately I have been doing that and it has been helping in the moment, but there are other things, um, and you know, this is something I talked about in my groups is like, I really, really wish that I could just take a year off of work and go to partial for a year and really take time for myself to get 
myself in a better place. And because it's, it's all fine and well, like I can get my routines and habits and all my self-care tools that help me feel good and um, at a comfortable level where I'm not triggered, where I'm not in my trauma response state. And it's great during partial. You have the time and energy to do that. And then, you know, I go back to work and I can do it for a little bit. My last two times I did this, you know, I went back to work and then like I had accommodations in place to continue going to support groups. And then over time, the part of me that puts my job before myself would stop going to the support groups like, oh, I don't have time to go to that today. I'd stop journaling I'd stop doing all the things that, you know, I get overwhelmed by my everyday stressors. And then it, those skills and habits fall to the wayside. And it's hard to take care of myself. And, you know, I really do think if I could just take an extended period of time off to really, really ingrain those habits in, I'd be fine. But unfortunately, that's not a possibility. Like, I am in so much student loan debt. Also, I mean, yay, I guess we got 10K and debt canceled. Um, I'll talk about this another time, though, because that, yes, it helps a lot of people, but it also does nothing for a lot of people. And I am one of those people. Um, so, you know, I, I'm in so much student loan debt, like I can barely pay my bills as it is going to work. Like I can't afford to take a year off of work. I don't know how I would live. I mean, like I could go on disability, but that's a whole other thing. I actually have someone I'm interviewing in a few weeks who worked for, um, social security and is going to talk about how difficult it is for people to get disability and what that means for you um, once you do have disability. And so it's just like, it's not really feasible for me to take that much time off. Um, so I kind of just have to go through these cycles and I know that there are cycles and I know that it'll pass and I know that I'll feel better, but it doesn't help in the moment. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make those feelings less intense. It just kind of gives me a little light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and so, you know, my episodes have been more f frequent and more intense. But they also pass quickly, more quickly than they have. Like, I'm able to kind of go with that flow, ride the wave, and, like, let my body do what it needs to and my brain do what it needs to to process those feelings. And, you know, I remember that I have such intense trauma in my life um, that this is expected. Like, my body and brain are just trying to protect myself. And, you know, that means putting walls up. And that means, like, that I don't have um, as much control over things. And, yeah, I mean, this was a really rambly episode. And I didn't come into it with an outline. I didn't come into it with any planning. You know, I, I was going to honor uh, what I said and that I was going to take a break on um, recording. I am starting to feel a little bit better. Like, I do think I can get back into the swing of things. I gave myself a, a week or so off, and that's fine. But like I said at the beginning, I feel like this kind of reflection is really important. For anybody who's listening, I feel like I I do present as someone who has it all figured out and who's got it all together. Like I have this podcast and I'm sharing information about mental health and like 
you know, that's part of the imposter syndrome that comes up too when I'm having these episodes and I'm sobbing hysterically and I can't get out of bed and I haven't eaten anything in two days and like, I feel like a hypocrite, you know, I'm like, who am I to have this podcast where I'm trying to help people with their mental health and look at me, I'm a fucking mess. But I think that that's the beauty (laughs) and I'm going to get emotional. I'm going to cry. But like, I really think that that's the beauty of this podcast and of this community that we've built together where we can be vulnerable and we can be honest about how life fucking sucks. And it's really hard and it's hard to be a human and it's hard to have emotions, especially in a world that values profit over human life and and all the issues that we have in our society on a day-to-day basis like this is so important this community and letting people know they're not alone and I know I sound like a broken record when I say that but really when I was at my lowest and I and even now like I still feel super fucking alone like when I am really struggling I feel alone and like nobody will get it and nobody will understand um shout out to uh uh my favorite band Sharia Moore one of their songs the opening line is in a crowded room but I feel alone and that is literally my life how I've been feeling for a really long time. Um, you know, I have great support circles and like I have and like you know, that's the thing too is I've been struggling a lot in the past few weeks and it's up to me to tell people that I'm struggling and that I need help and I you know, I don't know what it is that like holds me back from that. But it's still really hard to admit that I'm struggling. And I think part of it is that I don't want to talk about it is that I'm not ready to talk about it. And so, you know, I have my best friend Sam and my partner and, you know, they're talking to me and I'm not bringing up that I'm not okay. Like Alex can see that I'm not okay because he sees that, you know, I haven't done the chores or I haven't showered in a few days, but like we haven't discussed it. But Sam lives in a different state. So she texts me and I'm just sending memes back. She's not going to know. So of course I'm going to feel alone if I'm not telling my friends and the people in my support circle that I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and I need some reassurance and I need some extra love and I need some extra support. So like I feel alone, but it's a product of my own behavior and a product of my own choices. Um, But in that vein, like, you know, I I felt really alone. And, you know, when I was in the in the thickest of the thick of the shittiest of the shittiest, like it. I felt like nobody understood and nobody would ever get it and that I was weird and a psycho and all these other, you know, diminishing things that minimize how I was feeling. But, and, you know, this makes me sad in 1.2 that, you know, there are a lot of people that get it. There are a lot of people that are suffering just like I am. And that makes me sad, but it also makes me feel a little bit better. Like, this is the human experience. It's not just a Lexi thing. I'm not a freak for having emotions and struggling under capitalism and patriarchal societies and and uh, dealing with internalized ableism and homophobia and transphobia on a daily basis. Like, this is hard shit. Being a human is hard. And acknowledging that, like, I'm not alone in this and that other people feel that way, too, helps lift some of that weight off of my shoulders. 
and that's really what I hope that I'm doing for other people. Um, so, you know, this has been like a really big depressive episode. I think I'll probably also do a little discussion on um, some of my anxiety episodes. Like those are different. Like I feel like depressive episodes last a lot longer. Anxiety episodes are really um, more situational based for me. Um, and I can usually work through those a, a lot easier. Honestly, I say that, but it depends on the situation. So I, I'll probably do another little one of these about um, some anxiety episodes and panic attacks. Um, but I do feel a lot better, honestly, getting this off my chest. I've already gotten it off my chest many times. And that's the thing for me, too. I've talked to my therapist. I've talked to multiple support groups. I've talked to Alex. I'm just really grateful that you guys are here and that you're showing up um, and you're listening to what I have to say. Um, I really hope that you are getting something out of it. And, uh, you know, if you're not, that's okay. But if you know someone who could get something out of it, please share it with them. This has never been about trying to get a huge follower count. Like I know I have a very niche audience when I focus on mental health. And, uh, so that's never the goal is to like have a, a certain follower number, a certain number of streams, but it, it does really warm my heart every time I put an episode out to see more streams um, sooner to the release date. Like it, it used to take me like three weeks to get like 15 streams and um, I'm getting that in a few days now, like less than a week. So that just makes me so happy that I'm reaching more people and um, that the things that I'm saying and the skills that I'm sharing and the, the information that I'm giving you guys is, is worthwhile. Um, and it was really scary for me too to do an episode by myself um so thank you for listening to this and hopefully not hating it <laughs> um yeah I don't I don't know what else um I wanted to get at but I just want to say thank you for everything you're not alone if you're going through the shit right now like I'm right there with you but we will get through it we can learn to ride the wave and, and, and go with the flow and not fight that current, it's going to be a little bit easier. Um, so, you know, with that, keep trying to get through those Menti Bs and crying in those Chubbies. That is all I have been doing lately. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks for joining for another episode. You can find the podcast on social media on Instagram at crying and trying underscore pod on Facebook at crying and trying pod and on Twitter at crying underscore trying underscore pod. You can also find me personally on Instagram at Lex underscore G O N underscore give it to ya. And that is the number two. If you'd like to email us, our email address is crying and trying pod at gmail.com. Feel free to send us questions, comments, episode suggestions, or any other feedback you have. I truly love interacting with the listeners, and your input is vital to helping the show grow. If you know anybody who would benefit by listening, or who could even be a great guest, please share the podcast with them. The best ways to help a small independent podcast grow is to rate, review, and subscribe so other listeners can find us. You can also help by liking, commenting, and sharing our posts on social media to help grow the community. If you'd like to support the show with a small monthly donation, you can do so on our podcast page. This is just a placeholder until I'm able to get our Patreon up and running, but every small donation is appreciated. 
I'm also a proud member of the PodPros community and utilize PodMatch to connect with many amazing guests. This podcast is researched, produced, and edited by me, Lexi Hamsmith, using Anchor by Spotify.